Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday to all. Hope everybody had a good week. Let's get started. This book is getting very, very interesting, I must say. Very interesting. Okay, so let's get a quick review of chapter 9, which is titled The Flower of Utah. And we know who that is, right? Lucy Ferrier, the daughter of John Ferrier. The two who were found in a desert almost near death, rescued by the, uh, the Mormon church. So yeah, this chapter is about the introduction of Lucy as a grown woman. And we got introduced in the chapter to uh, the character Jefferson Hope. And presently in the, at the stage of the book, or at the time of the book, Jefferson is currently being held in London for the charges of murder. So now we're coming to this, where the story is leading up to how all these three men ended up in London, with two of them turning up dead at the hands of Mr. Hope. And we're not quite sure why they went to London in the first place. I have a, a good idea why, but I'm not going to say anything yet until we get through chapter 10. And then we can talk about that a little bit afterwards. And we also got to see how uh, Jefferson and Lucy met and they fall in love and Jefferson proposes. But he has to go off to work for three months and Lucy waits his return and he's become very close with her father, John. And uh, things are looking up for the little family all the way around. Lucy is happy as a bug. And Jefferson Hope is being a good man and working very hard for her. And that's just how it should be. Okay, so we're going to dive into chapter 10, everyone. And here we go. Oh, one more thing before I start. I know last week I said I'm going to not stop during the chapter to do comments. But I just can't help myself. So I'm just going to do it. I tried to stop doing that last week, and it was a bust. So, why change something I've already started already? So, here we go. All right. Chapter 10. It's titled, John Ferrier Talks with the Prophet. Three weeks had passed since Jefferson Hope and his comrades had departed from Salt Lake City. John Ferrier's heart was sore within him when he thought of the young man's return on the impending loss of his daughter. Yet her bright and happy face reconciled him to the arrangement more than any argument could have done. He, always, he had always determined, deep down in his resolute heart, that nothing would ever induce him to allow his daughter to wed a Mormon. Ooh. That's huge. Let me repeat that. He had always determined, deep down in his resolute heart, that nothing would ever induce him to allow his daughter to wed a Mormon. Such a marriage he regarded as no marriage at all, but as a shame and as a, and a disgrace. Whatever he might think of the Mormon doctrines, upon that one point he was inflexible. So he ain't budging on this one. And it's going to forewarn you, everybody, that uh, we're going to get some details into the Mormon church here that I don't think everybody realizes. But now, mind you, this is a book, fiction, and we do know that uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle 
actually has some real facts in his book here. So it's hard to say what's what we can believe to be true and what not. So we're just consider the whole thing fiction for now. And and everyone can judge their own, uh, be their own judge in that aspect of the book. I'm not here to judge anything on the book. I'm just here to read for you, which I enjoy doing. So whatever we find out about the Mormon church, we find out whether it's true or not. We can't say for sure. And we'll just leave it at that because I'm not here to opinionate on stuff that uh, I shouldn't be opinion putting giving my opinions on. So I'll just go back one sentence here. Whatever he might think of the Mormon doctrines, upon that one point, he was inflexible. He ain't budging. He had to seal his mouth on the subject. However, for to express an unorthodox opinion was a dangerous matter in those days in the land of the saints. Yes, a dangerous matter. So dangerous that even the most saintly dared only whisper their religious opinions with bated breath, lest something which fell from their lips might be misconstrued and bring down a swift retribution upon them. The victims of persecution had now turned persecutors on their own account, and persecutions of the most terrible description. Not the Spanish Inquisition, nor the German vigilante trials, nor the secret societies of Italy were even ever able to put a formidable machinery in motion that would cast a cloud over this territory of Utah. So basically, in a word, there's something to be contended with. If you go against the church, the Mormon church, you have a fight on your hands. That's what they're saying. Its invisibility and the mystery which was attached to it made this organization doubly terrible. It appeared to be omniscient and ampedipotent, omnipotent. I'm sorry, folks. I always do, did start with those two words. Omniscient and omnipotent. 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 <laughs> uh, boy, Lord help me. So I think you get what I'm trying to say. They're basically saying that they seem to be uh, above God and everything else. That's, that's how much power they have. And yet now there was no herd. The man who held out against the church vanished away, and no one knew whether he had gone or what had befallen him. His wife and children awaited him at home, but no father ever returned to tell them how he had fared at the hands of his secret judges. A rash word or hasty act was followed by annihilation, and yet none knew where the nature might be of his terrible power was suspended over them. No wonder that men would went about in fear and trembling, and that even in the heart of the wilderness they dared not whisper the doubts which oppressed them. At first this vague and terrible power was exercised only upon the naysayers of the church, who, having embraced the Mormon faith, wished afterward to pervert to abandon it. Soon, however, it took a wider range. The supply of adult women was running short, and polygamy was a female, without a female population, on which to draw was a barren doctrine indeed. Strange rumors began to be banded. Rumors of murdered immigrants in rifle camps in regions where Indians had never been seen. Fresh women appeared in the harems of the elders, 
women who pined and wept and bore upon their faces the traces of an unextinguishable horror. Belated wanderers upon the mountains of spoke of gangs of armed men, mass stealthily and noiseless, who flitted them by in the, in the darkness. These tales and rumors took substance and shape, and are corroborated and recorporated until they resolved themselves into a definite name. To this day, in the lonely ratchets of the West, the name of the Danite band and the Avenging Angels is sinister and ill-omened one. Fuller knowledge of the knowledge of the organization which produced such terrible results served to increase rather than to lessen the horror which it inspired in the minds of men. So the more they find out, the more they realize the horror that they're in. None knew who belonged to this ruthless society. The names of the participators in the deeds of blood and violence done under the name of religion were kept profoundly secret. The very friend to whom you communicated with your misgivings as to the prophet and his mission might, one of, might be one of those who would come forth at night with fire and sword and exact a terrible reparation. So nobody can be trusted. Everything is tight-lipped. Hence, every man feared his neighbor, and none spoke of the things which were nearest to his heart. One fine morning, John Ferrier was about to set out to his wheat fields when he heard a click of the latch and looked. And, looking through the window, saw a stout, sandy-haired, middle-aged man coming at the pathway. His heart leaped into his mouth, for this was none other than the great Brigham Young himself. Full of trepidation, for he knew that such a visit boded him little good. Ferrier ran to the door to greet the Mormon chief. The latter, however, received his salutation, salut, salutation coldly and followed him with a stern face in the sitting room. Brother Ferrier, he said, taking a seat, eyeing the farmer keenly on from his unlighted, colored eyelashes. The true believers have been good friends to you. We picked you up when you were starving in the desert. We shared our food with you, led you to safe chosen valley, gave you a godly share of land, and allowed you to wax rich under our protection. Is that not so? It is so, answered John Ferrier, meekly. In return for all this, we asked one condition. That was, that you should embrace the true faith and conform in every way to its usages. This you promised to do, and this, if common report says truly, you have neglected. And how have I neglected it? asked Sperrier, throwing out his hands in, in protest. Have I not given you the common fund? Have I not attended the temple? Have I not... Hold right there. Mr. Young said, Where are your wives? asked Young, looking around. Call them in, that I may greet them. It is true I have not married, Ferrier answered, but women were few, and there were many who had better claims than I. I was not a lonely man. I had my daughter to attend to my wants. It is that of your daughter that I would to speak to you, he said, the leader of the Mormons. She has grown to be the flower of Utah. Yes and has found favors in the eyes of many who are high in the land. John Ferrier groaned internally, knowing where this is headed, knowing his stance on him releasing his daughter or giving the blessing for his daughter to marry within the Mormon church. There are stories of her which I feign disbelief, stories that she is sealed with some Gentile. This must be the gossip of idle tongues. 
What is the 13th rule in the court of St. Joseph Smith? Let every maiden of true faith marry one of the elect. For if she wed a Gentile, she commits a grievous sin. This beginning so, it is impossible that you, who profess the holy creed, should suffer your daughter to violate it. John Ferrier made no answer, but he played nervously with his riding whip. Upon this one point your whole faith shall be tested. So it has been decided in the sacred council of four, and those four, by the way, are Stangerson, Drebber, Kimball, and Johnston. And as we know, Stangerson and Drebber end up turning up dead. Upon this point, your whole faith shall be tested. So it has been decided in the sacred council of four. The girl is young, and we will not have her wed gray hairs. Neither would we deprive her of all choice. We elders have many heifers. Let me just stop right there. There's a little asterisk beside that word heifers. And uh, now I, I'm going to think that this is true, what, what I'm about to tell you here. Now, if you go down to the to the footnote at the bottom of the page, Heber C. Kimball, which is one of the, uh, the forefathers, in one of his sermons alludes to his hundreds of wives under this endearing epithet. So he just basically calls all the women he has his wives heifers. Talk about degrading, but I promise you I wouldn't give my too much opinion on this. But So let me just repeat that. We have elders, we elders have many heifers. But our children must also be provided. Standerson has a son, and Drebber has a son. Hmm. And Ireland will gladly welcome your daughter to their house. Let her choose between them. They are young and rich and true to the faith. What do you say to that? Ferrier remains silent for some little time with his brows knitted. You'll give us time, he said at last. My daughter is very young, and she is scarce of an age to marry. She shall have one month to choose, said Young, rising from his seat. At the end of what time, we shall give her answer. So they give her a one month to choose between Drebber and Standerson's kids. He was passing through the door when he turned with a flushed face and flashing eyes. In other words, his final say here. It were better for you, John Ferrier, he thundered, that you... And she were now lying blanched skeletons upon the Sierra Blanca, where they found you. Then that you should put your weak wills against the orders of the Holy Four. And I just named the Holy Four for you. With a threatening gesture of his hand, he turned from the door, and Ferrier heard his heavy steps scrunching along the stingy path. He was still sitting with his elbows upon his knees, considering how he would broach the matter to his young daughter Lucy when a soft hand was laid upon his and looking up he saw her standing beside him one glance at her pale frightened face showed him that she had heard everything that had been said I could not help it she said in answer to his look his voice rang through the house oh father oh father what shall we do ah, don't scare yourself he answered drawing her to him and passing his broad rough hand caressing her chestnut hair. We'll fix it up somehow or another. You don't find your fancy kind of lessing for this chap, do you? In other words, you're not falling out of love with old Jefferson Hope, are you? 
A sob and a squeeze of his hand was her only answer. No, of course not. I shouldn't care to hear what you say you did. He's a likely lad and he's a Christian, which is more than these folks are, in spite of all their praying and preaching. There's a party starting for, Nat, for, for Nevada tomorrow, and Almanza sent him a message letting him know the hole that we are in. If I know anything about that young man, he'll be back here with a speed that would whip electro-telegraphs. <laughs> Lucy laughed through her tears at her father's description of Jefferson. When he comes, he will advise us for the best, but it is for you and I that I am frightened, my dear. One hears, one hears such dreadful stories about those who oppose the prophet. Something terrible always happens to them. But we haven't opposed him yet, her father answered. It will be time to look out for squalls when we do. We have a clear month before us. At the end of this, I guess we have best just get the skin out of Utah. Leave Utah? That's about the size of it, he says. What about at the farm? We'll raise as much as we can in money and let the rest go. To tell you the truth, Lucy, it isn't the first time I thought about doing this. I don't care about knuckling under to any man. And these folks do their darn profit. I'm a free-born American, and it's all new. This new style is all new to me. Guess to him too old to learn. If he comes browns about this farm, he might get a chance to run up against a charge of buckshot traveling in the opposite direction. <laughs> but they won't let us leave, the daughter objected. Wait till Jefferson comes and we'll soon manage that. In the meantime, don't you fret yourself, my dearie, and don't get your eyes swelled up, or else he'll be walking into me when he sees you. There's nothing to be feared about. There is no danger at all. John Ferrier out of these consoling remarks in a very confident tone, but she could not help observing that he paid unusual care to fastening the doors that night, and he carefully cleaned and loaded his rusty old shotgun, which hung upon the wall of his bedroom. Quite a revealing chapter, folks. Very revealing. And we can all see where this is headed. So basically what uh, John Fair has just declared in a kind of an unusual way is that the war is on to protect his daughter. And he waits patiently for gestures and hope to get home to help him out with all these problems. I'm almost tempted to read another chapter, but it just isn't enough time. So quite, quite the chapter here. Basically, I guess we could say that battle lines have been drawn. And our two, uh, two lovely characters are fixing to skip town as soon as they can and they want to get word to Jefferson to let him know what's going on. And he's been gone three weeks and he only has, he's supposed to be gone for two months. And they had said that, that Lucy wants to send a message for the next, uh, next travelers heading over to Nevada. And whether that happens or not, we don't know yet. And the four elders are up to something, Stangerson, Drebber, Kimball, and Johnston. Up to no good, I would say. So that's the end of chapter 10. It's uh, very revealing, short and revealing. At least now we know where they stand.
So I'm looking forward to seeing the next chapter for next week. All right, everyone. I hope you have a great day and have a great week coming up. And we'll talk soon in a week. Have a great day. Bye-bye for now.